0: Good morning, church. Good morning. You uh, should have gotten when you came in uh, a handout, formerly known as sermon notes. Some of you use those, and they're a good tool for you. All of you might uh, hope to grab one of those when you come in. So we've added a piece to that that is just like your, your Cliff's notes. Okay, it's got your uh, the the different website addresses that we have uh, that we talk about periodically. Go here to find this. Go here to sign up for this those type of things, so we're we're starting to put those in there just so you'll know. And this coming Friday and Saturday, we're leading up to Easter, next Sunday, just the greatest day of the Christian year when we celebrate the victory, the resurrection of Jesus. Our fourth, fifth, and sixth graders have been praying, they've been planning, they've been preparing for an event, this around-the-town Easter, that is the result of uh, the creative energies of our children's ministry team, and how do you... um, still outreach to our families and our community um, in light of the, hopefully, the latter stages of COVID chaos and craziness, right? So there's some details at troyecc.org forward slash Easter. It's just an event that's designed for you, for your family, your kids, your grandkids, um, people in our community to kind of go on Easter adventure together, a bit of a scavenger hunt, then finishing up with hopefully stopping by here, getting this uh, free Easter kit that just gives some ways to interact with our children and our grandchildren uh, to shine the light where it belongs, right, on Jesus and his resurrection. So information about how to participate, how to support that, all online for you. Now, last week when we closed, there were five just application points that I gave you, and I said it'd be good for you to just kind of sit with these this week, just spend some time on them, Four of the five of those, if you did that this week, will help you to really fully see what is going on in our text today. If you haven't yet, turn to Mark chapter 15. Okay? Now, I've preached on the crucifixion many times in years past. Um, each one of the Gospels gives us some different specifics about what is happening during that time. Some things that are being said, and I, I find them helpful. Um, all of those texts is interesting, some of them actually intriguing to me, yet there are details um, too many to cover. In fact, we've, we've done a whole sermon series just even on the words that Jesus spoke when He was on the cross. And yet what I sense God calling us to do this morning as a church is, is just to um, feel the weight of our text, okay? to be present in our text and sense exactly what's going on, not get lost on the details, not do rabbit trails on the interesting facts or, or culture things going on, but just to feel the weight of the text itself. More than just physically understanding what's going on in Mark chapter 15, I want us to think about what is spiritually taking place as these events unfold. More than just thinking about how Jesus is being treated in Mark chapter 15, let's think about what God is accomplishing through his suffering and ultimately Jesus' death. Uh, More than being critical, um, angered, alarmed, all things that will take place when we read this, those actions here, more, more than just being stunned by the injustice of it all, hurt by this atrocity, I want us just to tune in spiritually and watch Jesus in the midst of insurmountable things stay just so uh, focused and so faithful to God's purposes. And I want us to see that God is going to win. Right? This is how he wins the battle over sin. Next week we get to celebrate the win. Today doesn't feel like a win. Mark chapter 15 doesn't feel like a win as we, we think and, and we watch Jesus being punished for the sin of the world. And what I don't want us to miss is that that sin of the world is the sin of me. It's your sin. It's my sin. Like this is Jesus' story that we're reading. But it's also your story, and it's my story, because when we read it, like we are the, we are the direct objects, right? We are, we are the recipients of Jesus' actions. He is doing this for us. And sometimes instead of thinking about all that is happening, maybe we just need to feel the weight of what is happening. Now, in Mark chapter 15, it's Friday morning. We think of this as Palm Sunday, the week before Jesus is crucified and resurrected. Um, and we celebrate that in the, in the church calendar way. But in our text, we're ahead of it. Okay? We are to Friday of the coming week. The Jewish council has declared Jesus guilty of blasphemy. We read in chapter 14, the guards, the Jewish guards, they've taken him away. And they've beaten him during the night. And, and I told you things are going to move quickly here. We're literally just a few hours, when we start chapter 15, a few hours since Jesus' last supper on Thursday evening. We're literally just a few hours before Jesus' last breath on the cross on Friday afternoon. We pick up in verse 1. I'm going to read today from the contemporary English version. A little bit different, but you'll be able to follow along easily in any of your other translations. And it says, Early the next morning, the chief priests, the nation's leaders, and the teachers of the law of Moses met together with the whole Jewish council. They tied up Jesus and led him off to Pilate. And then before Pilate, we read that Pilate, there in verse 2, he, Pilate, asked Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Those are your words, Jesus answered. The chief priests brought many charges against Jesus. Then Pilate questioned him again. Don't you have anything to say? Don't you hear what crimes they say you have done? But Jesus did not answer. And Pilate was amazed. Now, as a general rule, the Romans did not interfere with local politics. And Pilate certainly would not have put Jesus on trial if he were simply violating Jewish regulations. So the high priest brings a charge that that makes a case relevant to Rome. And so as a result, Pilate's first question is, are you the king of the Jews? That was the charge against him, because if Jesus claims to be a king... He's guilty for a crime against the sovereign Roman Empire. And yet, we're going to read in verse 10, I mean, Pilate's on to what's going on. He's skeptical of these Jewish leaders and their motives for why they would want Jesus guilty. He may even want to release Jesus, Pilate, that is. But based on these charges, he can't release someone who refuses to deny The charge is such a serious charge against him. And so we read in the text that he was amazed. Think think surprised. Like, why won't you speak up for yourself? You know this isn't right. You know what these guys are doing is a sham. Why won't you speak? He was surprised by Jesus' silence. We shouldn't be surprised by Jesus' silence. Because it was just as God spoke long ago that it would be. It's playing out just as Jesus said it would. And yet I want you to put yourself in that courtroom of Pilate's with the Jewish leaders there and all of this craziness going on. And I want you to feel the anger that the Jewish leaders are feeling. Remember, we've read all throughout the book, they tried to find a way to trip Jesus up. And can you just hear or feel those Jewish leaders saying, try to get out of this one, Jesus. We got you this time. And feel um, the bewilderment of Pilate. I mean, I just hear Pilate saying, Jesus, help me help you. Speak up here. I need a little bit of help. And you want you to feel the resolve of Jesus. Right? I mean, our whole study for the last three months, I mean, it's all come down to this. It's all about the cross. And it's all about the resurrection. And Jesus is here on earth purpose. Continuing in verse 6, it says, during Passover, Pilate always freed one prisoner chosen by the people. And at that time, there was a prisoner named Barabbas. He and some others had been arrested for murder during a riot. The crowd now came and asked Pilate to set a prisoner free, just as he usually did. And Pilate asked them, I think hoping to get out of the mess that he was in, one more escape vow for Jesus and the tragedy that was about to happen, Pilate says, do you want me to free the king of the Jews? Pilate knew, verse 10, that the chief priests had brought Jesus to him because they were jealous. He saw through what was going on. But the chief priests told the crowd to ask Pilate to free Barabbas. Then Pilate asked the crowd, what do you want me to do with this man you say is the king of the Jews? And they yelled, nail him to a cross. Pilate asked, But what crime has he done? Nail him to a cross, they yelled, even louder. Verse 15 is important. Pilate wanted to please the crowd. So he set Barabbas free. Then he ordered his soldiers to beat Jesus with a whip and nail him to a cross. The soldiers led Jesus inside the courtyard of the fortress and called together the rest of the troops. They put a purple robe on him, and on his head they placed a crown they had made out of thorn branches. They made fun of Jesus. They shouted, Hey, you, King of the Jews! Then they beat him on the head with a stick. They spit on him and knelt down and pretended to worship him in mockery. When the soldiers who had finished making fun of when the soldiers had finished making fun of Jesus, they took off the purple robe. They put on his own clothes back on him, and they led him off to be nailed to a cross. Why do we follow crowds? Why is it so important that we do what everybody else is doing? Like this, this crowd that the Jewish leaders had feared so much, they, they did everything in darkness at night, we read about last week, has now become their willing pawn. They just move them around. It's as they speak through their mouth, the crowd that shouted, Hosanna to the king like a week before, like we would normally celebrate on Palm Sunday. Now is shouting, nail him to a cross. I mean, this is a crowd of people who had watched and heard about Jesus doing miracles, about feeding people and healing people and speaking words of life and even bringing people back to life. And now, like they're calling for his life? Things turn ugly in what seems like just the snap of a finger, the blink of an eye. And Jesus' fate seems sealed. And if we're in the text, if you're in that room, if you're feeling what's going on, then we ask ourselves, like, is God still winning? Is evil going to prevail? Is Jesus still God's Son, who He loves, and with whom He is still pleased? You know, I don't know how much, honestly, people that are in heaven can see what's going on on earth. I tend to think that the answer is they can't see these things for a number of reasons. Yet you just have to wonder, as all of this plays out here in chapter 15, like what's heaven thinking? Even if they knew it had to happen. Like even if they knew it was going to happen. Even if they believed that it was part of God's grand plan that it happened. I mean, did, did all of heaven gasp when Jesus was sentenced? Did all of heaven gasp when Jesus was beaten? How hard was it to hold back the armies of heaven when their commander-in-chief was being threatened and was ultimately executed? Maybe a more relevant question is, does it make you gasp? Does it make me gasp? Or has it simply become for us another story in life? Just another story in the Bible where we miss the significance. I mean, do you wince when that happens? Do you feel the significance? Or do you no longer feel the weight of what is happening? Tune in to chapter 15 here. Feel the weight as these words unfold before us. It all unfolds. Here in verse 21, we read Simon from Cyrene happened to be coming in from a farm, and they forced him to carry Jesus' cross. He was the father of Alexander and Rufus. The soldiers took Jesus to Golgotha, which means place of a skull. There they gave him some wine mixed with a drug to ease the pain but he refused to drink it. They nailed Jesus to a cross and gambled to see who would get his clothes. It was about 9 o'clock in the morning when they nailed him to the cross. On it was a sign that told why he was nailed there. It read, this is the king of the Jews. The soldiers also nailed two criminals on crosses, one to the right of Jesus and the other to the left. So here we are, at 9 o'clock in the morning on Friday. Likely just about 12 hours since the last meal that Jesus had had with his disciples. Maybe 12 hours since his last conversation with his friends and his followers. Jesus had told them what would happen multiple times. And here it was literally playing out just like Jesus said it would in real time. Now Mark oftentimes doesn't give us full details of all the events. Okay? And I sense that that's, that's what's going on here in the book of Mark. If you read Matthew and Luke and John, we get all of, a lot of other details that fill out a much fuller picture. Like, like I myself, I can't read chapter 15 without um, in my mind playing out the scenes from the movie The Passion of the Christ. Mark doesn't capture that when it says that they, they, they beat him and they nailed him to a cross. He doesn't capture the fact that the reason Simon had to carry that cross is because Jesus had been beaten so badly that he, he couldn't carry part of that cross himself through Jerusalem, what was left of his body. When that movie came out um, several years ago, we rented... Um, the theater here in Troy for a showing of that movie. Um, and it was very meaningful for, for us to see, especially on the big screen, right? All that playing out before us. My son Christopher was on the wrestling team at Miami East, and he, he invited a friend from the wrestling team to come with him. And I remember as we were walking out through that lobby of the old theater that his friend asked him, he said, Is that real? Who is this Jesus? I've never heard of him. Before. Jesus gets beaten so badly and if you feel the weight of that playing in your mind you get a sense of what's happening here actually in Mark chapter 15. Simon just an innocent participant in the story soldiers caught up in the mockery, and yet the mockery doesn't just stop with them in the courtyard and how they beat Jesus and all those things. Look with me at verse 39. It says, people who passed by as he's hanging on that cross said terrible things about Jesus. They shook their heads, a sign of disgust, right? And they shouted, ha, so you're the one who claimed to tear down the temple and build it again in three days. Save yourself. Come down from that cross. The chief priests and the teachers of the law of Moses also made fun of Jesus. They said to each other, He saved others, but He can't save Himself. Did you, did you catch those words? He saved others. Their first acknowledgement that Jesus had actually done those miracles. He had done the sa- things he, he said He was going to do. It played out before their eyes. They, they dismissed it at the time. Now they say, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Messiah, they said. If he's the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross. Then we will see. Then we will believe. Can you just catch the sarcasm in their voices? The two criminals also said cruel things to Jesus. As this plays out, do you see why Jesus had to be so laser focused on his purpose it's the whole reason that he came to earth was for this day like as they're shouting these things as the mocking is going on as the ridicule is playing out can you just sense how important it would have been that Jesus heard first from God his father twice this is my son Who I love, with him I am well pleased. Was that voice playing in his mind louder than these ones that were playing in his ear? Because all he's hearing right now are lies, untruths, mockery, and the insults that they hurled at him. I mean, how wrong is it that the created ones are mocking the Creator. How painful must it have been to watch? How painful must it have been to see Jesus, the object of it all? Maybe we get just a small sense of what it must feel like to God when someone demeans someone that He has created when we complain about his gifts not being good enough for us, we take his grace for granted and and we choose to sin anyway by just simply going our own way. Like I hope you're more than just taking note of what is in the text. I hope you're in the text with me, feeling it all, because it's weighty what's happening here. And it gets heavier, as we see in verse 33. It says about noon, the sky turned dark. Now, don't think Ohio winter gray, like depressing. Think nighttime dark. At noon, in the middle of the day, it turns nighttime dark. And it stayed that way until 3 o'clock, so for three hours. Then about that time, Jesus shouted, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? like in all eternity. The son had never felt that way. He'd never known that feeling. He'd never felt that weight of the distance between the son and the father. Some of the people standing there heard Jesus and said, he's calling for Elijah. One of them ran and grabbed a sponge, and after he had soaked it in wine, he put it on a stick and held it up to Jesus. And he said, let's wait and see if Elijah will come and take him down. And then in an anticlimactic end, Mark in his typical way in verse 37 says, Jesus shouted and then he died. (laughs) Now Jesus said a number of things on the cross that we find in the other Gospels, and what John tells us that Jesus said at the very end before he died are these words, it is finished. Verse 38, at once. The curtain in the temple tore in two from top to bottom. Remember, this is the curtain that separated the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, from all of his people. Gone. No longer necessary. The sin that separated us from God had been destroyed, and the curtain tears not by the hand of man, but by the hand of God from top to bottom. A Roman army officer was standing in front of Jesus, and when the officer saw how Jesus died, he said, This man really was the Son of God. Eighteen hours since his last meal. Fifteen hours before that kangaroo court of Jewish leaders. Nine hours since he stood before Pilate. Six hours hanging on a cross. Three of them in complete Darkness, a body that had been severely beaten, not once, but twice. Close your eyes for a minute and just, can you see him on that cross? What's left of his body? And can you sense, can you like participate as a person watching, not the fools who are mocking Jesus? But his followers, like if you were one of the women, one of the disciples, one of the sympathizers, can you place yourself there? Can can you feel your body trying to gasp for air as you would push up on those feet that had a spike driven through them, simply trying to fill your lungs with air enough to get one breath? Can you feel the devastation of the words of the one so intimately connected with his father when he cries, my God, my God, why have you deserted me? Can you feel your heart sink? Can you feel your hope fail when he breathes his last breath? Can you think about and feel the fear that maybe the Jewish leaders felt when that temple curtain ripped from top to bottom and no one was around? Can you feel the weight of the words of the soldier? Like that soldier who was very likely involved in the beating of Jesus in that courtyard area, now standing at the foot of Jesus, crying out, Surely this man was the Son of God, realizing he had been beating the Son of God? I want you to read the rest of the chapter on your own this week. And it may seem like a formality, but I assure you that it is not. (laughs) It is a preparation for what is to come. It it was fulfilling of scriptures is what's happening there. Look, Look at it on your own this week. Take note of the care that was given to Jesus as they take his lifeless body away and place it in the tomb. And feel the weight of the sin. Feel the heaviness of the days of this week. Like we, we wait in anticipation of that tomb being empty. We know that Easter is coming. We know that next week is the greatest day of celebration in the whole Christian year because of the resurrection of Jesus. Let me tell you, they did not know that. For them, this was the end. For them, they thought, it's all over now. But let's think about us. I mean, most of us have felt that feeling of it's all over. (laughs) Like we're unworthy of the sacrifice that Jesus just offered here. Like we're never going to conquer sin. We're never going to prevail in the battle we're never going to be out from underneath the weight of sin. And if you're in the moment in, in Mark chapter 15, you can get stuck there in that moment. And we need to feel the weight of that, but not get stuck. I, I like what Henry Nouwen writes regarding this. It, it seemed appropriate to me to, to kind of guide our thoughts as we finish this morning. And he writes, the voice of despair says, I sin over and over again. After endless promises to myself and others to do better next time, I find myself back again in those old, dark places. Forget about trying to change. I've tried for years. It didn't work, and it'll never work. It's better that I get out of people's way, that I be forgotten, no longer around, dead, He says, the strangely attractive voice takes all uncertainties away and seemingly puts an end to the struggle. It speaks clearly for the darkness. But Jesus came to open my ears to another voice that says, I am your God. I have molded you with my own hands, and I love what I made. I love you with a love that has no limits because I love you as I am loved, that voice says. Do not run away from me. Instead, come back to me, not once, not twice, but always again, come back to me. You are my child. I am your God, the God of mercy and compassion, the God of pardon and love, the God of tenderness and care. Please don't say I've given up on you, that I can't stand you anymore, and that there is no way back. It is not true. I so much want you to be with me. I so much want you to be close to me. I know all your thoughts. I hear all your words. I see every one of your actions. And I love you because you're beautiful. ...because you're made in my own image... ...an expression of my most intimate love... ...do not judge yourself... ...do not condemn yourself... ...do not reject yourself... ...let my love... ...touch the deepest... ...most hidden corners of your heart... ...and reveal to you... ...your own beauty... ...a beauty that you have lost sight of... ...but that will become visible to you again in the light of my mercy. Come, the voice says. Come. Let me wipe your tears and let my mouth come close to your ear and say to you, I love you. I love you. I love you. And feel the weight of sin be lifted by the power of grace and the power of mercy. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. Okay? If you don't have a, a cup and a wafer, just raise your hand and someone will bring that to you. But don't, don't stay here in the moment with me. Okay? Even as you're grabbing those things. okay? This moment um, where the weight of the cross has left us feeling the weight of our sin, but where the weight of our sin meets the power of His love right there on that cross. Stay here long enough to be free. Stay here long enough to leave that sin on the cross where it belongs. Stay here long enough to leave with hope This is God's message to the prophet Joel in chapter 2, long ago, where he says, Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning, rend or, or tear your heart, not your garment. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stay here in the moment long enough for those things to happen, and I'll come back and we'll take communion together. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, you sent your Son. You said you would, and then you did it. Jesus, you you said you would come, and then you came, and we watched what they did to you. And we felt what they did to you. And we felt you stay steady to your purpose, steady to your calling, steady to your death on our behalf because of our sin. And you meet us here today saying, remember this wafer, my body, broken for you. Remember, with this juice, my blood shed for you. Remember, so that you can move ahead, changed, different, light, and free. We accept your gift today in light of your grace and your mercy your love. feel the power of Jesus' words when he says, take, eat, do this in remembrance of me. I suppose they didn't know in that upper room, but I bet they did after Mark 15, like we do. The power of when he says, take, drink, this is my blood offered, sacrificed, cleansing and washing away your sin this week in our calendar year always seems a bit dark to me Um, when when I sense the weight of what took place I come Thursday I wake up and I I just kind of feel a bit unsettled all day When I think about what's playing out in history during this week of of the Passion. Come Friday, I wake up sad and I think, this is the day. This is the day where He paid my price, where He did it in my place. Saturday, I always find myself uh, like a bit lost like, what's going on in heaven? after Jesus died, when he's in that tomb, before he raises from the dead. And it's just a little unsettling too. And then Sunday. Sunday is the greatest day in history. And all of the questions are answered. and All the pain is gone. And all the celebration begins as Jesus raises from the dead. I hope... You'll be here next week as we unfold that and bring somebody with you who can celebrate with us and needs to hear that, that Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't just conquer sin. He didn't just pay the price. He conquered the grave. And we have a hope and a future, not just for us, but for those who have gone before us. That's why we have hope of these reunions that keep driving us. In the meantime, like if today... If Mark chapter 15 brought you to a place where you know you need to make a change, you need to renew once again that commitment to Jesus to leave some things behind. To seek a new love and a fresh mercy from God. We want to help you do that. I'm going to pray and then we're going to we're going to sing close our time in worship. During that song after the service, don't wait. Don't let today pass get things right with jesus for all the things that he's done for you let's pray together jesus we are a grateful people we are thankful for your work we're thankful that you did what we couldn't we're thankful for the life that we have because of that and the hope that we have because of that everything rests on these verses and not just words in a book they rest on what you did your gift your sacrifice, your love poured out for us so that we could have not just the hope of forgiveness, but the hope of eternity. May it be embraced fresh by us today, we pray in Jesus' name.